11. The words will be on the screen for 1 Corinthians. And so don't try to, don't try to turn there. But you'll be able to follow along with me as we read just what, the, what Paul wrote when it came to um, giving instructions to the church at Corinth in the area of the Lord's Supper. And so if you would, go ahead and stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's going to be on the screen. And so stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. Now pay attention, I've got some words underlined at some point. And so just pay attention to what he said. He said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would... You would speak into our hearts and you would help us to remember what it means what it costs for us to be your followers. So Lord, open up our hearts, open up our minds that we might understand your word this morning. Father, your word is is clear. Lord, we need your spirit to to give guidance as we study your word. And so, Lord, would you, would you use it to prick our hearts, to challenge us, to, to motivate us, Lord, to equip us to be the people that you have called us to be. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys go ahead and be seated just for a few moments. Uh, two different times there in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said, do this in remembrance of me. Have you ever really taken the time to think about the power behind this idea of remembering? In Joshua chapter 4, the children of Israel had just crossed the Jordan River to get ready to go into the promised land. They remember they'd been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And now time has finally come for them to go in and receive the inheritance that God had promised them. And they passed through the Jordan River. Now, Joshua chapter 3 says that the Jordan River, it overflowed its bank during the time that the children of Israel crossed over. But the priests that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when they dipped their feet into the river, uh, God held the waters back upstream so that the priests and all of the children of Israel crossed over on dry land. And when they got to the other side, here's what God instructed them through Joshua. He said, I want you to get one man from every tribe, 12 nations, 12 tribes there, one man from every tribe, I want you to go back to the riverbed, I want every one of you to get a rock and come back and set up a memorial so that in times to come when your children ask, why are these rocks here, you can tell them about my, my, my miracle working power that held the waters back so that you could cross over on, on dry land. There were going to be rough days ahead for the children of Israel. And God said, I want you guys to have a reminder of the power that I have at my disposal to work in your midst. And so he said, hey, set up a reminder. Here's another example. In Psalm 143, it's a Psalm of David. 
David, it's, it's written at a time when David is near the end of his life. And if you remember correctly, David didn't end his life as good as he began his life. When he sinned with Bathsheba, it just created a, a whole, you know, a multitude of, of, of difficulties that David had to deal with the rest of his life. And in Psalm 143, verse 5, David said, Lord, I remember the days of old. I, I meditate on it. I ponder on it. I, I remember the days of old. Lord, I remember when I was the... When I was the apple of your eye. Lord, I remember when, when I could walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I wouldn't fear no evil because I knew that you were with me. Lord, I remember the day when there was a big giant named Goliath who was mocking you and, and Lord, you empowered me to go and to fight this giant and Lord, you gave me the victory. Lord, I remember the days of old. And Lord, I want them back. And that might be where some of you find yourself this morning. Lord, I, I remember when, when I could get down and I uh, studied my Bible. And, and Lord, it was just like it was your word was just a free flowing to me and speaking. Lord, I, I remember when I was full of faith. Lord, I remember when, when, when I could do this. And, and Lord, I want that back. And Lord, and I think what God is saying to us this morning as we partake of the Lord's Supper. If you're ever going to get back, it starts with remembering what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It starts with, with us remembering what Jesus gave in order that we might have a relationship with Him. It starts, starts with us remembering this great hope that we have in Christ. Now, Nehemiah 13, here, here's where we tie this in. If you remember correctly, Nehemiah, when we left off in Nehemiah 8, 9, and 10, there had been a great revival. I mean, the people, I mean, they were standing and reading and meditating on the Word of God for hours at the time. In Nehemiah chapter 10, they read the Scriptures for like three hours, and then they spent three hours confessing sin, and, and there was just this great revival. But when you get to Nehemiah chapter 13, it seems like they've forgotten everything that God has done for them. It was a people, it was a group of people that had experienced a great revival. Now they have fallen back into sin. Nehemiah chapter 13, you read it in verse 6. Nehemiah had to go back. Remember, he came um, from the king and he had to go back for a period of time. And scholars disagree as far as the length of time he was gone. But he was gone anywhere from three years to up to 12 years is what they, uh, what best they can understand it. So he was gone for an extended period of time. And you know this old saying, uh, when the cat is away, the mice will play. There you go. And so uh, the leader left, and everything began to fall back into trouble. And so I want to take a few minutes. I want to walk through three of the areas. And you, we could possibly look at a fourth, but at least three of the areas where in my 11-plus years of being a pastor, I see the exact same problems that we that the church struggles with in our day and time. And so I'll walk through these areas very quickly, then I'll give you uh, several points of application there at the end, and, and then we'll go into a time of invitation that will lead us into our time of communion. And so three areas where they compromised. Number one, they compromised in the area of their giving. Now, in, in Nehemiah chapter 10, now here's what's so interesting about this. Everything that they compromised in, 
they promised, they covenanted, covenanted with God in Nehemiah chapter 10 that they wouldn't do this. And so in Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 32 and following, they said, we're going we're gonna to obligate ourselves to give uh, uh, yearly a third of a shekel for the service of the house of God. They obligated themselves that they're going, that they were going to bring the first fruits of their crops. They were going to bring the first fruits of their animals. They were going to bring the first fruits of their dough. They promised to bring a tithe from their land. But at some, at some way, they probably started off really good, Junior. But as Nehemiah was away, they began to fall back into their old ways. And so you get to Nehemiah chapter 13. Notice what Nehemiah finds here in verse 10. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did the work literally in the, in the house of God, they had to flee each to his field. And so they literally had to return to the fields in order that they could eat. Now, it's not a secret. The majority, maybe not the majority. Well, yeah, the majority. Statistics say the majority of Christians struggle to give faithfully every as often as you should. And the truth is, I could I could literally, I, I could think of three or four stories within our church body that I could line people up on, on this stage and give testimony of the power of giving faithfully. I mean, I really could. And the truth is, I, I don't think it would make a difference in some of your hearts. I mean, I really don't because... You're not, you're not going to be swayed by a personal example like this. I just believe it with all of my heart. Until you really grasp just how much Jesus has done for you, you could, you could, you could hear all of the human examples that you could possibly hear. But until you grasp the depth of what God did so that you could be saved and you could be redeemed, you're just never going to, you're just never going to give faithfully. Interestingly, the book of Malachi, we did a series on the book of Malachi last year called All In. The book of Malachi, scholars will tell us that the book of Malachi was written during the period in which Nehemiah was away. You know what the book of Malachi talks about? It deals with everything that Nehemiah is going to talk about in this text. It, specifically in the area of tithing. It, Nehemiah, Malachi, not Nehemiah, Malachi is the only place in the Bible where, where God says, try me on this. And it's in the area of our giving. God says, if you don't believe that if you give faithfully, that don't open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing on you that, you that you can't contain it, try me. It's the only time in the scriptures where we're ever told to, to try God. And so it's in the area of their giving. And some of you, that's, that, that may be where you find yourself this morning. You compromise in the area of your giving. And, and by the way, it's not in my notes. This is free, right? Hot off the press. It's a matter of stewardship. It, it's not that you sit there and you rebel and say, I'm not going to give. I don't think any of us have a hard heart like that, saying I'm just not, I just don't want to give this. It's my, it's it's just a matter of stewardship. It's a matter of lordship in your life, whether or not you'll let Jesus be Lord or you be Lord in your life. That was free, not in my notes. Number two, they compromised in the area of their worship. You get down to verse 15, they begin to talk about the Sabbath day. Now, now again, in chapter 10, verse 31, here was they, here was what they promised. Chapter 10, verse 31, you could turn, you could read it for yourself. He said, and if the peoples of the land bring in any goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we'll even forgo the crops on the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Now, Nehemiah wasn't trying to be a legalist here. 
The Sabbath day was to be a day that was set aside, not just for rest, but it was also for a day of worship. It was a day that they were to remember the mercies and the grace of God, to remember the power of God. It was a day that they were to think deeply, if you will, about who God is, about the character of God and the nature of God. And for them to keep the Sabbath, now catch this, for them to keep the Sabbath, it was for them to worship correctly. And so if they didn't keep the Sabbath, it meant that they were not worshiping correctly. Hey, I got a question. Now, some of you teenagers, I want you to pick up on this. How many of you have an iPhone? Just, just out of curiosity, you, you've got an iPhone. Would you mind taking it out just for a second? It's the only time I, I'm encouraging you to use your phone in, in the middle of the service. And, and adults, too, if y'all, if y'all have got an iPhone, I want y'all to see if y'all, y'all, can, y'all can do this with me. Now, on your iPhone, this is somewhat of a new invention. Now, I've got a 7. So, right here on this side, if you've got a 6 or a 5, it might be on the top. But if you see this button right here, I want you all to hold that down for me just for a second. It's kind of new. You hold it down, and then you slide this over, and you cut it off. Have y'all, have y'all, I mean, it's amazing. Did y'all know y'all could do that? You know why I say that? Because we get so attached to our electronic devices, we can't even, and and hey, the reason I can say this is because I've struggled with this. You can't sit down and be still and know that God is the Lord because of all the notifications that come across your phone. And sometimes the best thing you could do is cut your phone off. Put it somewhere where it's not going to bother you and spend some time with Jesus. And shame on you if you come to church with the idea that you're going to take your phone and play games and get on social media while we try to worship. They compromised in the area of their worship. You say, well, preacher, that's that's not a big deal. You know what compromising in the area of worship will do? It leads you to this place of complacency in your walk with Jesus. And do you know that complacency in your walk with Jesus is an enemy of the cross? You'll never care deeply about the things of God as long as you're complacent in your worship. That's what they were experiencing here. They were compromising in the area of their worship. Number three, they compromised in the area of their purity. Now, beginning in chapter 13, verse 23, Nehemiah shifts to the institution of marriage. They they were intermarrying with people from different faiths. Now, note the problem. It's not that they were intermarrying with people of different skin color. It was people of different faiths. They were intermarrying with people from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Now, again, the problem is the faith. For example, how many of y'all have heard of the book of Ruth in your Bible? Do you know that, the, that Ruth is not Jewish? Ruth was a Moabite. But yet, she's the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. She's included in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And so the problem has never been about the issue of the color of her skin. It's always about the faith of the people that you're getting yourself involved in. Now, the intermarriage, it posed a big problem. Because verse 24 says, it says, half of the children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. You say, why is that a big deal? You know what the scriptures were written in? The language of Judah. And so if you you raise a generation of children 
that cannot speak the Hebrew language. You know what you've just done to the Word of God? You've just cut it off from the people. And if you raise a whole generation of people that don't have any idea of what the Scriptures say, can you imagine what's going to happen in the generations that follow? And so Nehemiah, he's coming, he said, this is a big deal. And in fact, notice what he did, verse 25. This is this will bless your heart right here. This is the preacher you want. Verse 25, I confronted them and I cursed them and I beat some of them and I pulled their hair out and I made them take an oath. Now, I say that it was a big deal, uh, but you, you could take that out of context. Nehemiah, don't get the picture in your mind that he kind of flew off the handle. Um, somebody from the, um, one commentator, he, he said this. He said, well, you should not think of Nehemiah flying off the handle, losing control in his rage. He said, this was probably Nehemiah bringing prescribed punishment to bear. A beating is less than a stoning. Can I get a witness? But a stoning was prescribed in some instances. And when he pulled out their hair, he was most likely just grabbing, he was not just grabbing people at random and yanking their hair out. That would be bad. He said, this again was probably public shaming. It was a ritual. It was a formal ceremony where he, where people were disciplined in this way to rebuke them for their shameful conduct. And so they took this as a big deal in their, in their purity. Nehemiah said, you're doing this, you're messing up. And then he gives the example in verse 26. He said, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all of Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even Solomon to sin. It was their purity. They had these lustful desires, and instead of being faithful in the Scriptures, they were, they were giving themselves over, and they were intermarrying, not, not just someone of a different skin color, it was a different faith. Why? Because... They wanted to please themselves in their flesh. And Nehemiah says, you can't do that. This is a huge, huge deal. Hmm. They compromised in their purity and it was destroying their relationship with God. Now, if you're single, if you're single, that means you, you, you're not married. It should not even be up for debate of whether or not you'll even date someone who is not a follower of Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, there, there's just no room for you to even think about dating someone who is not a follower of Christ. Don't go in with this mindset, oh, I can help lead them to the cross. It almost never happens that way. You set boundaries for yourself right now. If you're married, if you are married, put in place barriers that are going to keep you from making a mistake and doing something stupid that you and your family will regret. If you're a parent, you've got teenagers with these electronic devices. These electronic devices can destroy your children. Okay, so set up barriers. Let there be, put some type of a, a software on your phone that you can, you can monitor what your children are going. You say, well, my children aren't going to like me if I do that. That's okay. Children don't have to like you all the time. You say, well, my child's not going to do that. Solomon was the wisest man in the scriptures, and he failed. David, David was a man after God's own heart, and he failed. Now, I think there's some awesome kids in our church, but they're not better than David and Solomon. 
putting safeguards out there in the midst of that. They compromise in the area of their purity. Their giving, their worship, their purity. So what do we learn from this? Number one, and I'll move through these quickly. You have to attack sin head on. Do you notice what Nehemiah did? I mean, when, when he saw a problem, he attacked it head on. He was a leader who confronted sin. In every situation, he confronted the leaders that were responsible and he did whatever it took to get rid of sin. Have you ever heard the saying, if you give sin an inch, it will take how much? It'll take a mile. Paul said it in Galatians 5, it, you just need a little bit of yeast in the dough and, and it'll take care of the, the whole bit of dough. You know how much poison you have to put in a plate of food for it to corrupt everything in the plate? Just a very, just a very little. So in your own personal life, attack the sinful tendencies of your heart head on. Do whatever it takes to get rid of those in your life. Just a little bit, guys, just, just a little bit of uncontrolled sin can destroy you. Number two, never, ever, ever stop fighting sin. Scholars tell us, that by the time Nehemiah, he's confronting sin in here in, in um, Nehemiah 13, that he's probably somewhere around the age of 65 in his life. You think, man, 65, that's the age I want to retire, right? I mean, that's the, that's the age I just want to kind of chill out and sit back and prop my feet up and just live the good life. You know, that's not Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah, when he gets there, he confronts sin head on. In fact, I, I thought about it this week. You remember where Nehemiah came from? From the king's palace. I mean, he came from royalty. He came from luxury. And now he has to go back and confront this sin that he's already dealt with before. It would have been easy for Nehemiah to say, you know what? I'm not, I don't have to put up with this garbage anymore. I, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. And you've gone back and you've done the same thing that you said you weren't going to do. You guys fixed the problem. I'm going back to the king. But that's not, that's not what he done. And if you're a follower of Christ, you can't ever give in either. Because I guarantee you, it's for all of us. All of us have, have certain things that we struggle with. And you're going to struggle with it the rest of your life. And what you cannot do is you cannot just give in and say, well, I've struggled with it this long, I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to give in. You can't do that. If you're a follower of Jesus and the hand of God is on your life, you continue to attack and fight that sin. Number three, now I want you to catch this. Be thankful for grace and mercy. There, there's two different ways you can look at what happens in Nehemiah 13. On the one hand, you could look at the Israelites and say, man, them bunch of knuckleheads, I can't believe they're, they're doing this again. God, God should just wipe them off the face of the earth. They're not listening, they're not obeying. I mean, they're, they're, they're just some crazy guys. On the other hand, you can say, man, God didn't wipe them out. They fell back into sin once again, and yet there's an opportunity for them to repent. There's an opportunity for them to receive grace. There's an opportunity for them to receive mercy. And, man, that should be encouraging to you this morning, especially if you find yourself in a place where you have compromised and you find yourself this morning and the Spirit of God is putting just an area in your life where you know you've compromised. This morning, don't leave here feeling guilty. Leave here realizing that there's an opportunity for you to receive grace and mercy and forgiveness for that sin and that you can, you can be an overcomer and your relationship with Christ can be restored. And so, hey, be thankful for the grace and mercy 
that Christ has given to you this morning. Number four, and I'll close with this one. It's where we started this morning. Remember what Jesus has done for you. You know, it's easy for you to look at your finances and think something like this. I'll keep as much as I want. It's easy for you to to think that until you look at the cross. And you realize that God didn't hold anything back for you. You realize that? When we partake of communion in just a moment, when we eat this bread, it's symbolizing that the body of Christ was given. And not just part of His body, everything that He had was given for you. Even to the point that when we, part, when we drink the cup, we're realizing that the blood of Jesus was shed for us. He gave everything that He had so that we could be forgiven, so that our sin debt could be paid, that we could be pardoned, so that we could be declared not guilty. Even though we were. When you realize all that he did, it should cause you to be a good steward of everything that he gave you. How about this? It's easy for us to be kind of nonchalant, lackadaisical, and kind of go through the motions in the area of our worship. Until you realize that Jesus didn't go through the motions for you to be forgiven. Those were real spikes that were driven in his hand. It was a real beating that he received. It was real pain and humiliation that he endured just for you. So when we come on Sunday mornings and we come to worship, we don't just come to sing a few songs. We don't come just to put uh, something in the offering plate and, and dare the preacher to bless us. We come with hearts that have been changed because of the cross of Jesus. And we come to, in order to seek his face. We remember the cross and it leads us to a place of great worship. And finally, when we remember the cross, we we realize the severity of our sin. Just how severe it was, and and we don't view it the same way anymore. One of the most frustrating parts of ministry is to go and talk with someone and to counsel with someone, and and they say something like this, Ah, preacher, I know it's wrong, but I I just can't help it. I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking. Because in that moment, you're failing to grasp the length that Jesus went so that you could be forgiven and redeemed of that sin. And here we are sitting and saying, oh, well, I can just live and, and dabble in this, little, in, this, in this little area of sin. And Jesus is saying, no, man, I gave everything I had so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be redeemed, so that you could be free from that sin. And yet we want to go back and And we want to dabble in it. So your sin, think about this. Your sin is an assault on the character of God. In fact, it is such an assault on the character of God that He had to step out of heaven and give His body as a sacrifice for your sin. It wasn't something that was just a little sin to Him. And so in just a moment, when we come... And we partake of the Lord's Supper. We are remembering the cost that Jesus gave so that we could be free from our sin. So if you find yourself this morning and you've got this little sin in your life, in just a moment we're going to sing, repent of that sin. Turn from that sin. Get that sin 
out of your life. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the cross upon which Jesus gave his life in order that we might be redeemed. Lord, as we prepare to partake of communion, Lord, would you prepare our hearts to truly worship you during this time. And Lord, I pray for every person that's under the sound of my voice, that Lord, if there's unrepented sin in their life for today, Lord, they would repent of that and they would trust in Jesus for their forgiveness and that Lord, today they would uh, get their hearts in line with your will, Father. So Father, would you move during our time of invitation as only as you can. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's what I want to ask you to do during your invitation. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus, and you know without a shadow of a doubt if you were to die today that you wouldn't spend eternity with Christ, and I want to ask you to come during the invitation. Just take me by the hand and say, Preacher, today I want to give my life to Jesus. It's not a greater decision you'll ever make on the face of the earth. And secondly, I want to ask you this. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you know that you've asked Jesus to be your Savior. You know that you're walking, um, you know, that you're saved. But you know that you've compromised in some areas in your life. Maybe just one area. Maybe it's an area where the, the Spirit of God has just spoken into your heart today. The Bible says that when we come and we partake of the Lord's Supper, we, we don't need to do so in an unworthy manner. And so today, as, as we respond to the sermon and, and get our hearts prepared to partake of the Lord's Supper and the Spirit of God is putting His finger on an area of your life and during this invitation you don't have to come to the altar but you can if you want to but today would you repent of that sin and, and you ask Jesus to to forgive you of that and, and you get your heart and your life in right in line with who Christ is and so however the Spirit of God is speaking and leading into your life you respond in obedience to what He's saying and what He's doing in your life at this moment. You stand with us and you sing. And you respond as He leads.